learning what to adore, appreciate, ask for, admonish, and amen in our own prayer lives. We've already looked at what to adore in prayer, and we're to adore God and all that He is. Uh, We've also looked at what to appreciate in prayer, and we're to appreciate Jesus and all the spiritual blessings that come to us through Him. And now we're looking at what to ask for in prayer, and uh, we're grouping all of these prayers of asking along three categories, Uh, what to ask for for those who are outside of Christ, what to ask for for those who are in doubt, and what to ask for for those who are in Christ. We already learned what to ask for for those outside of Christ, and that is simply their salvation. That is to be the main focus of our prayers for those who are lost. For what shall it profit a man if their health is completely restored and they lose their own souls, right? We need to pray for their salvation. Uh, But how do we pray for those in doubt? How do we pray for those individuals whose true spiritual state is, for one reason or another, unclear to us? whose life, for one reason or another, isn't matching their profession or lack of one. Well, Scripture gives us three ways we can pray for them, for those who are in doubt. First, we should pray for their restoration. That's what we saw in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9, where Paul says explicitly, your restoration is what we pray for. In other words, we had to pray that they would repent, that they would turn back to God, and just like a shoulder that's been popped out of joint, we should pray that they would be restored into a right position and relationship with God. We should pray for their restoration, for those whose spiritual state is is in doubt. Second, we should pray for mercy. That's what we saw in 2 Timothy 1, verse 18, where Paul prays there, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. So when a person's profession of faith and salvation is for one reason or another not clear, as we work on making that clear, we ought to be interceding for them and praying for mercy that God would make it clear. Which was very helpful for me as I'm thinking as a parent on my own children, And you sit there and say, I don't know where they are at. Well, I can pray continually that the Lord would give them mercy, mercy for their souls. Well, there's one final way that we should pray for those whose spiritual states are in doubt, and that is to pray for forgiveness. See, sometimes in life, there are moments when people around us who are pretty clearly Christians will, for one reason or another, sin against us in such a grievous way that you could almost say it takes your breath away. We're pretty sure that they know Jesus. They've demonstrated consistently in the past the signs of grace and of salvation, but then they do something that is so hurtful, harmful, and uncharacteristic that it just sets you into a complete tailspin about what you thought you knew about them because that one act was so damaging and so different. And everything you thought you knew about that person is thrown into doubt. What do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment? How do you pray for them? Because we are to pray for them and not to hate them. How do we pray for them? Well, Paul shows us tonight in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, that we ought to pray for their forgiveness. That's how we ought to pray for those who are in doubt. We pray for their forgiveness. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, at the end of this letter, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. This is Paul praying for forgiveness for those whose spiritual state was thrown in doubt. We pray for those 
their forgiveness. But before we dive in, let's ask the Lord to help us understand and obey his word tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the prayer of Paul contained here in this letter of 2 Timothy. Father, we thank you that it shows us how we ought to respond when people sin against us. Father, I pray that we would learn from Paul's example and even see through Paul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who when he was sinned against, when he was offended, when he was abandoned and mistreated, he cried out, forgive them. Father, help us to have the heart of Christ as we see it reflected in the heart of Paul so that when others sin against us, when we are mistreated, we would cry out the same, Father, forgive them. Give us grace towards this end, Father, as we greatly need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said before, Paul is praying for those whose spiritual state is in doubt that they would receive forgiveness. He mentions the fault at the beginning of verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he mentions the forgiveness at the end of verse 16. May it not be charged against them. So we have the fault followed by the forgiveness. So let's consider first the fault. What did these people do to Paul? Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. See, Nero, in his insanity, had burned down Rome. He had to find someone to blame for it. He blamed the Christians. Along comes Paul, the most well-known Christian in the world at that time, and he becomes a scapegoat for all of Rome's hatred and hostility. He is unjustly put on trial, which will eventually lead to his death. And Paul says here, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me as I was put on trial. And that is no small sin against Paul, by the way. If you struggle with bitterness and resentment against someone else, what someone else has done towards you, I urge you tonight to put your offense next to what Paul suffered here. When you study Scripture, it becomes clear that the most fundamental way that a believer shows himself to be a believer is by standing alongside other believers as they go through persecution and hardship. For example, in Matthew 25, 36, Jesus talks about how all the world one day will be judged and separated into believers and unbelievers, into the redeemed and the unredeemed, into sheep and into goats. And Jesus says there in that parable, in Matthew 25, that one of the most fundamental ways Christians show themselves to be Christians is by coming alongside other believers who are naked and clothing them, coming alongside other believers who are sick and visiting them, and coming alongside other believers who are in prison and joining them. And yet at Paul's first defense, no one comes to stand by him. Think of that especially when you consider the impact of Paul's ministry. Out of the, and I have no idea, thousands upon thousands that he preached the gospel to and who responded in faith. And out of the, who knows, hundreds or maybe thousands of people that he trained and raised up for gospel ministry around the world. Out of all of those people, not one 
person came and stood with Paul. All deserted him, Paul says. That was wrong. It is wrong. That is a fundamental betrayal of Paul and of Christ himself. After all, Colossians 4.18 tells us that we as believers are commanded to remember those who are in chains. And Hebrews 13 verse 3 says that we are to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and remember those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. As Hebrews 10.34 puts it plainly, true believers are marked by having compassion towards those, meaning their brothers and sisters, in prison. This is what it means to be a Christian. You stand with Christ's body, even if it means you stand with them in prison. And yet, after all the prayers, all the professions of faith, all the profuse declarations of love, no one stood by Paul. I couldn't help but think at this point about the Ephesian elders from Acts chapter 20. It was the first image that came into my mind. If you remember, Paul ministered in Ephesus faithfully for three years, and when he had to leave to go preach the gospel later to Rome, we're told in Acts 20.37, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him, being sorrowful, and they accompanied him even to the ship. I mean, man, people who love you so much that they're weeping over you when you leave and are embracing you and kissing you and seeing you off, you'd think that they would come stand with you when the going gets gets tough, when you face injustice, and when your life is being put on the line. You would hope all of those people would show up for you. And yet Paul says, nobody comes. All deserted me. Paul stood on trial unjustly before Nero and all the rulers of the ancient world and no one would even come and be a character witness on his behalf. That was the fault that Paul endured. The sin. At my first defense, no one came and stood by me, but all deserted me. So what do you do Not that that's happened to any of us. (laughs) But what do you do when things like that happen? What do you do when those that you thought you could trust, as those who are genuinely saved, do something that deeply hurts you and is destructive and is very different from what you knew them to be? What do you do? You do what Paul does here. You respond to that fault with forgiveness. Paul says, may it not be charged against them. Paul responds to their fault with forgiveness. That's amazing when I think about it. He doesn't become embittered or resentful. He acts like Jesus. If you remember, after all left Jesus and fled during the night of his betrayal, Jesus responds on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And that's exactly what Paul does here. Following Jesus' example, following Stephen the martyr's example, Paul prays, may it not be charged against them. He responds to their fault with forgiveness. And I want you to notice something about this passage. Even though they didn't ask for forgiveness, Paul still forgave them. He releases them from that debt and is determined not to hold that offense over them anymore. He is determined not to keep them in a prison of bitterness because then he knew he himself would be imprisoned. See, there's a lot of confusion among believers when it comes to forgiveness, which is a shame because forgiveness is supposed to be what we are marked by as God's people. And so I want to provide as much as possible some brief clarity to the subject of forgiveness tonight. First, when you wrong, when you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness 
And second, when someone wrongs you, exercise forgiveness, as we see Paul does here. Those are the commands of Scripture. When you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness. And when someone wrongs you, exercise forgiveness. So first, when you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness. Our Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 5, 23-24, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. So when you are engaged in worship, Jesus is saying, God convicts your heart concerning how you have wronged someone or sinned against them. Do not justify your wrong actions by something that perhaps they've done. And don't make excuses like, well, you know what? They just need to get over it, right? And grow some thick skin. I confess my sin to God, and that's good enough. Nope. Confess your sins to one another, James 5.17 says. So God's word is clear. When you wrong someone, you don't just push it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. You address it. You make it right. Confess to that person that what you did against them was a sin contrary to God's commands and directly ask for their forgiveness. Don't say you're sorry. Say, I have sinned. Will you please forgive me? So I have a question. Even though this is not the main point of this passage, right? When's the last time that you said those exact words? Will you please forgive me? Not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. The worst. (laughs) But, will you please forgive me? If it's been a while, then I urge you, repent of pride and humbly ask those you know you've wronged to forgive you. When you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness. But, what we're seeing here from Paul is when someone wrongs you, You exercise forgiveness. You exercise forgiveness. And here it becomes a bit more complicated because there's two routes that we need to consider. First, what do we do when someone wrongs us and asks for forgiveness? And then what do we do when someone wrongs us but doesn't ask for forgiveness, right? The answer to the first situation is more straightforward. If if someone wrongs you and asks for forgiveness, you are to forgive them. That's the quick answer, right? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 18.33, Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? So when, when someone wrongs you and they ask for forgiveness, you are to forgive them. You've been forgiven much, therefore forgive others. But what do you do when someone wrongs you and doesn't ask for forgiveness? Like what happens here with Paul, Right? How do you address this situation then? Well, in that case, provided that it's just a one-time offense and not an ongoing pattern of unrepentant sin, there are two steps that you should take when someone wrongs you. First, let love cover it. That should be the first step. Let love cover it. First Peter 4, 8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And let's be honest, in a family of redeemed sinners... There is going to be a lot of people who wrong you and mistreat you and hurt you intentionally or not. And sometimes that hurt is going to be extremely painful. Extremely painful. According to God's word, a majority of those times should simply be quietly forgiven out of love and covered over without a single word ever being said about it. You know, you sit there and you see how someone acts towards you and you say, can you believe they did that? The quick answer in your mind should be, yeah, I can. They're not perfect and neither am I. Let love cover it, right? Jesus died for them just like he died for me. Yep, I believe it. (laughs) 
That's not ignoring the issue. What is that doing? That's, that is addressing it. It's dealing with it in love. I think about 75% of all church issues and interpersonal issues would end right there with a tender heart silently covering over the offense of love. However, there are times when the situation really bothers you, right? When uh, that person sins against you and it keeps on coming back into your mind and it starts creating a festering resentment and bitterness in your heart, what do you do then? And that might have been the situation Paul is at because he prays once more in this passage about this. What do you do then? God's word says, second, give it to God in prayer. Give it to God in prayer. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In other words, when someone offends you and you realize that you're starting on to hold on to a grudge, onto resentment, or onto bitterness, you're commanded to take that offense to God, your Father, in prayer, and there release it to Him. As Paul does here. Don't hold their offense over you anymore. That's what forgiveness is. It means to release. So release the offense to God in prayer. Lay the issue into His sovereign hands. After all, He's the only one that can change that person's heart. And what you'll find out is that the longer that you pray about an issue in private, the more God begins to change your heart. And soon, you'll be able to do what you weren't able to do before. Let love cover it. Because you've been bringing that issue before God in prayer. God has changed you even though he hasn't changed the other person. So what do you do when you offend someone? Go and clearly ask for their forgiveness. What do you do when someone else offends you? Well, if they ask for forgiveness, forgive them. If they don't ask for forgiveness, still exercise it. Let love cover the offense and release it to God in prayer. Now again, obviously, and this is more than what I have for tonight, if the offense is indicating a pattern of unrepentant sin, then the third way you address it is by talking to them about it, right? You need to pull your brother or sister out of that and restore them, as Galatians 6.1 says. But outside of that, we ought to follow Paul's example here. Simply let, cover, let love cover the offense and release it to God in prayer. Why? Because the Lord can defend you. As Paul says next, the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. In other words, I don't have to come to my own defense, right? Literally at that moment. I didn't have to come to my own defense. The Lord stood by me. God is my defense. He keeps me safe and secure from all alarm. And therefore, I am simply free to forgive. I'm free to forgive. And that's how we ought to pray for those who sometimes betray us in painful ways. That's how we're to pray for those in doubt. We are to pray for forgiveness by letting love cover it and by giving it to God in prayer. As Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, has someone wronged you? Or even just... Someone rubbed you in the wrong way? (laughs) Is there a root of bitterness growing within you towards a brother or sister in Christ? You'd better place that before the Lord who has richly forgiven you, you a repeat offender against him. That ought to fix most of your problems. God has richly forgiven me, therefore I must richly forgive others. This is how we pray for those in doubt. We are to pray for forgiveness. And we need to follow Paul in those prayers as God's people tonight.